0: Welcome to Pottery Visited, Episode Fifteen. Today we are discussing Chapter Fifteen of *Philosopher's Stone*: The Forbidden Forest,
1: or as we like to call it, "The Future Looks Bleak." Harry.
0: Rest in peace, Harry. We had a great eleven years.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, he had a great few months and a terrible ten years.
0: So where we left off last episode was we thought it was so stupid that Harry and Hermione forgot the cloak. Yeah. But they get caught because they're stupid and they forgot the cloak and they get detention. Well, they get caught by Professor McGonagall.
1: Well, they get caught by Filch and then brought to Professor McGonagall. Yeah.
0: They have no good stories, no
1: cover-ups. So if you were in that situation and you had been brought to McGonagall pretending we're Gryffindors and she's responsible for our punishment... Uh, what excuse would you come up with in that moment? Why were you out of bed at midnight in the astronomy tower?
0: Why couldn't they just say that they wanted to see the stars? (laughs) Look at the constellations. I don't know.
1: I mean, honestly, like, there's so many lies they could have told that might have gotten them, like, we knew we shouldn't have, but we were studying for our astronomy test and Hermione was trying to explain a constellation to me, and I couldn't understand. So then it looks like, okay, Harry making dumb decisions, typical. And Hermione valuing education above everything else, typical. Like, there's that definitely would have been a slightly...
0: Maybe it's just because we're both Slytherin, and that's just what we think.
1: Where we just immediately have an excuse that's gonna lessen the
0: punishment? Maybe. Because, like, both of us were just like, yeah, there's so many excuses. And both Harry and Hermione were like, blank. Like blue screen computer.
1: (laughs) I feel like Harry's 11 years old and everyone knows he's been through an emotional life. There's so, he's so many times he could just get away by things by being like, you know, I was thinking about my parents and I was sad and Hermione took me for a walk because I felt like I wasn't connected to them and she was telling me that Maybe I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them, but the stars I look up at from Hogwarts are the same stars they looked up at from Hogwarts. And isn't that beautiful?
0: See? <laughs> you know? Harry didn't play his grief enough.
1: Just like, and then what is McGonagall gonna say? Stop more. <laughs> he just did not have the amount of Slytherin that we have. That's clearly what it is.
0: Well, they couldn't think of an excuse, so Professor McGonagall is very disappointed Which is the worst thing you ever want to hear from, like, an authority figure that you look up to.
1: Yeah, they do say that this is the most disappointed in a Gryffindor McGonagall has ever been. But I do not believe that. I feel like this is dumb, but Gryffindors have been dumb forever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this isn't the worst thing she's seen.
1: Like, since the beginning of time, Gryffindors have done... I think it's, like, her leaning heavy on the emotional manipulation to get them to realize, stop doing dumb shit, but, uh, there's no way people haven't done worse things in Gryffindor House. You know what I mean? They're reckless. They do a lot. I'm sure she would not have been thrilled if she had found out that James and Sirius were running around as a un- unlicensed uh, anime guy. She would have been displeased, but, and not telling her. She would have been mad they didn't tell her, almost more than them not being licensed, um, or registered, rather. So I think there's lots of things that Gryffindors have done. Everything Dumbledore does, if he's supposed to be a Gryffindor, is more disappointing than everything
0: Harry does. I just feel bad for poor Neville. Like, he's trying to do good by his friends, and he's trying to warn Harry and Hermione that Malfoy was out to, like, get them in trouble. And then he just... And it makes... And the McGonagall makes it seem like it was Harry's intention to play a trick on him. And this poor guy can't catch a break.
1: Yeah, poor Neville. And he's so sweet and he was trying to be a good friend and he was being brave and a good Gryffindor which you don't get enough of or appreciate enough about Neville early on before his blossoming or his metamorphosis into the one true Gryffindor so it's nice to see these moments where he's brave and it's hard to see it being turned against him not only is he getting punished but they're making him feel like it was done to him on purpose and that's really harsh but I feel like McGonagall definitely leaned into being overly dramatic because she knew that would be the best way to sort of guilt trip them. Like, it would be the most, of, like, if she was just angry at them, it wouldn't be as effective as her really leaning into, like, the trouble they've caused for the rest of their house and the disappointment they
0: are, you know? What's well, a pride thing for Gryffindors. Like, they're very, like, prideful and stuff. She knows how to manipulate Gryffindors, being a Gryffindor.
1: Clearly. I I feel like manipulating Gryffindors is not that hard. I bet no one here would jump off that cliff. (laughs) All the Gryffindors going over the cliff. (laughs) All of them.
0: I just find it really funny, like, the comparison. This is the first time Harry's lost, like, a lot of points. Like, in the earlier chapter, Stapes taken points from him, and he's been really upset about it. But now he's lost 50 points, and not only that, it's 50 points each. So they've lost Gryffindor 150 points all at once. And now he's thinking that this is the worst thing he's ever done, and he feels so guilty, and he's gonna stop sleuthing around because he can't believe he did this to Gryffindor. And in the later books, he stops caring about house points.
1: Yeah, I think the house points start to mean less to Harry, the more he faces real consequences, So like when you're a kid, losing points or getting grounded seems like a real problem. But when you're an adult and you face like the realities, the consequences of real actions out in the world, you realize that there are so many worse things that can happen. So I think it's just the more it's exposed to real danger and higher consequences, the less he places value on small consequences like house points. No one's going to die if you lose some house points, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but Harry's eleven and this really matters to him and of course Harry starts to get the repercussions the next day when everyone realizes at the next the one next morning that three first years, including Harry Potter, lost them 115 points and now they're in last place for the House Cup. It's a big deal. So, this is the first time Harry's kind of isolated. He goes from the beginning, all throughout this book, being this famous kid that everyone wants to talk to, everyone knows, everyone really likes him. And this is the first time in Hogwarts, in the magical world, where he's kind of isolated and no one likes him, which happens a few times in this book. But Harry does mention that at least he has Ron with him. And that's going to be a big partly in the, like, the later books when he really feels alone when he doesn't have Ron. Ron's his, like, big tied to the Wizarding World and everything. But I, I saw that even the Quidditch team was mad at him. Like, they said that they wouldn't talk to him, and if they had to mention him, they called him the Seeker. So does that mean, like, Fred and George won't even talk to him? I mean, I think Fred and George probably just enjoyed the, like, I, like, found it funny, so they
1: probably joined in. I don't think they would have meant to be cruel, but I can't see them giving up an opportunity to be ridiculous. Uh, Speaking of friend George, I continue to think it's ridiculous that apparently the twins have never lost 150 points at once.
0: Maybe they're just good at not getting caught.
1: I mean, yeah, maybe they're just, they have more Slytherin in them, not to say that only Slytherins can be sneaky, but we're, we're good at it. They clearly have more Slytherin in them than Harry, so they get away with more, they plan things out better. They probably are infinitely better liars, because sitting there quietly is a terrible attempt at a lie. But I still think, I mean, 150 points at once, keeping in mind that like, they're always together. So it would be like, it could be like each of them losing 75 points because there's no way one does it without the other, which would be 150 points. And I can think of loads of things they've probably done that would be worth 75 points each.
0: I just feel like maybe they're just good at not getting caught for all the the big things they do. Because we know they do small things and I feel like they probably lost like a few points just for doing small things. But knowing what they can do in later books, I'm like, they're probably doing like crazy stuff. But I just feel like they never got caught because they probably have the Marauder's Map at this point.
1: Yeah, they're just sneaking everywhere.
0: And also just feel like they're smarter than Harry and Hermione are in their exhibitions outside the castle. Tori's hot take. Fred and George, smarter than Hermione. Ooh. <laughs> I'm gonna get people coming for me, maybe. I mean, Hermione is my favorite character. I just feel like there's different kind of smarts. And at this point, they probably are smarter than her. Absolutely. At least for shenanigans. Yeah. So moving on, we find out their detention's going to be in the Forbidden Forest, which I thought was super odd because they're in trouble for being out of bounds, being out at night when they're not supposed to be. And the solution is we're going to send them into the forest where they're not allowed to be.
1: Yeah. It seems dumb. I guess if I tried to think it through and find logic in it, so if I assume it wasn't Dumbledore's idea, (laughs) then I would say maybe... They know the forest is scary and dangerous, so they're sort of showing them the types of situations their misbehavior gets them into. Like, oh, you're going to be places you shouldn't be at night. This is how it could go. This is how scary it could be. Do you want to continue to make those choices? Like, it, it almost makes sense as, like... It's, like, scared straight. <laughs> a, yeah, a more extreme version of what they did with scarier potential consequences. But... That's me trying to look into it if it wasn't Dumbledore's idea. And if it was Dumbledore's idea, he was like, lol, you know what would be really funny? They almost died.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's send them into the forest. Like, obviously Dumbledore didn't do it. I thought maybe Hagrid might have stuck up for Harry and Hermione and asked if he could take them. Because it was probably something that he was told to go do. Go check the forest to see what's hurting the unicorns. And he probably felt guilty because Harry and Hermione basically got caught because they were helping him out of his crimes. That he committed casual crime involving children in his crimes, but you know, it's Hagrid, so it's just kind of odd the way Hogwarts is, it's just so backwards. On the topic of crime and punishment, they used to torture the students,
1: they used to take them to the dungeon and hang, like, not only that, but Filch isn't as old as Dumbledore, and he vividly remembers doing it and misses it, which means while Dumbledore almighty, wonderful, pure of heart Dumbledore, if you can hear me rolling my eyes, (laughs) you should because I'm rolling them loudly Um, he was like, well, we torture students and they would just let that be a thing.
0: Yeah, it's weird, like, we don't know how long Filch has been working there, but we do know that when Mrs. Weasley and Arthur were at Hogwarts it was a different head caretaker, and he also did, like, punishments like that, because I think Mr. Weasley got caught being out of bed or something when he's out with Mrs. Weasley and he had like a scar or something. So it like implies corporal punishment. Yeah. So it's just weird because like, and Dumbledore was a master when they were at school. I'm fairly sure. Or at least he was uh, there.
1: At least he was a teacher there. So the point is Hogwarts just abuses children.
0: Until Harry Potter comes. And then Dumbledore's like, you know what? Actually, I'm done with this.
1: I'm going to emotionally
0: abuse this one instead. (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> as we have said before we are a Dumbledore hate podcast
1: <laughs> it's so true
0: so we get a lot of mentions of werewolves in this chapter which is interesting because you know in the third book it'll become a big plot point
1: I think it's fun that we get werewolves sort of at the same time we get unicorns we're like oh werewolves might be a thing and then we're like oh unicorns are a thing it's very fun And you don't really know at first because Draco mentions werewolves, correct? So you don't really know if he's just bullshitting them to make them nervous because it's Harry and Hermione. How would they know? Yeah. So at first you're like, oh, he might just be Dracoing. But then you're like, wait, unicorns are real. In that case, sure, yeah, werewolves. What isn't, you know? Anything is possible if you just believe.
0: So we go into the forest and I thought it was weird that um, Hagrid splits them up, which I get that they're on the detention. They have stuff to do, but I just feel like the kids aren't supposed to be there anyway. And I get they're doing detention, but I feel like they should have adult supervision. This is, like, detention. And also, they're not supposed to be in the forest anyway for a reason. So it just feels like such... Absolutely. Neglect. Yeah. Irresponsible stuff. Yeah. Like, like what could have happened to Harry and Draco or when Draco and Neville went by themselves? Like, anything could have happened.
1: They could have just died. Draco could have been like, wow, there's this one cool spell I heard my dad use. I want to give it a go, (laughs) Neville. Stand still. Avada cadabra,
0: Like, yeah, I mean, just, like, anything could happen. It was just, like...
1: He's too young to know the consequences of his actions. He's 11,
0: you know? Like, are we not... I'm not surprised, because it's Hogwarts, and it's a nightmare, and no one's responsible for these children, but just, like... And it's, like, Hagrid, too. Like, Hagrid's not even, like... Like, we, we love Hagrid, and he's great in the forest, but also, like, he doesn't have magic. Like, what's he gonna do if something happens?
1: He doesn't really...
0: He has a crossbow. Yeah, but honestly, like, when one got hurt, like, he doesn't have, like, spells or anything or a way to, like, notify anyone.
1: No, he doesn't. And it's like, even if you try and, like, minimize the severity of the particular situation, nobody would send unaccompanied 11-year-olds into a forest they've never been in before in broad daylight, let alone a forest they...
0: Yeah, nighttime. They've never been in at night
1: where there's monsters, like, it's just
0: gross negligence. Especially because, looking at the fact that they don't know what's hurting the unicorn. Like, they don't know what it is. So they're like, oh, this mysterious creature that's hurting unicorns, which are, which is, like, crazy because unicorns are pure and innocent, and if you kill one, you're cursed for life. So, clearly evil creature. Yeah, let's send 11-year-olds to go find it. 11-year-olds who don't
1: know any spells. Yeah. Hermione knows some spells. Harry, not so
0: much. Of course, we get to meet the centaurs. Glorious Beautiful, wise centaurs. We'll talk a bit about it later with the centaurs and their... Their divining of the stars.
1: I do think it's really interesting how... I mean, they're supposed to be wise, but Ronan talks about how the innocent are always the first victims. And especially in the current state of the world, it's so prominent. It's such a thing that you don't think about, but you're like, it's all, It's never the people who are truly involved with a conflict. It's some innocent person, like a unicorn, beautiful, sweet, pure creature. And it's it's really heartbreaking. As a unicorn lover, it makes me sad.
0: I find the centaurs very interesting because they're the first kind of creature we meet that is, like, humanoid. So they speak to Hagrid and to the kids and they, like, have conversations with them. But we we do get kind of, like, their characteristics, how they're very, like, secretive and they are very focused in, like, divination and astrology. And they, all, they just keep saying that Mars is bright tonight. Hagrid's just like, I'm so done with this.
1: I think they do a lot of world building in this chapter. Like not only do they expand it by teaching us about new creatures but the forest is like a whole new location sort of to Hogwarts and it really encaps- encapsulates a lot of what is to come and what is going to exist in this world it gives us a really broad idea of what's going to be there. Especially
0: thinking about how much happens in the forest in this series Absolutely. It becomes a big, a big part of the the series especially knowing that Harry comes into the forest in this book he dies in it in the last book yeah
1: exactly it's full circle it's a beautiful full circle moment though like the first time Harry sees Voldemort since he has memory like since he's not a baby is in the forest and then when he dies by the wand of by the magic of
0: Voldemort he dies almost in the exact same spot interesting to think that Hagrid's also there for both those things kind of
1: that's true Hagrid's bad luck. You just shouldn't hang out with Hagrid in the forest. (laughs) You know, that's, or you'll die. (laughs) No, there's no way around it. You'll die. Speaking of Hagrid, he just full out calls Draco an idiot. Which, to be fair, yes, absolutely, Draco is an idiot. (laughs) But should a teacher be saying that? No. Should a teacher be saying that to a little narc of a student who tells his father everything, will complain about it, and he probably will hear from the school board? No. Well,
0: think, at this point, Hagrid's not a professor, so he doesn't have like a lot of, he's just a caretaker. So I feel like, kind of like with Filch, he has, he doesn't have, like, a responsibility as, like, a teacher to the students. He's just helping out at the school. So it's just kind of like Filch says a bunch of, like, terrible things to the kids. He can kind of do what he wants to, and doesn't have a lot of repercussions, because he's not directly involved with the students. He's just there for the school but it does change when he does come prof- professor and he has to kind of learn to watch what he does and he doesn't really take it that seriously.
1: It still kind of feels like another example of Hagrid and his not understanding about how you can interact differently with different people and when you're an adult you can't say certain things to children that you might say to another adult. He just doesn't understand that context difference. I
0: think it's definitely that Draco was scared and his way of dealing with being scared and not wanting to show it was being like, this shouldn't be happening. And he was trying to like, hide that he how scared he was and Hagrid was just like, nope, you're being done. You want to get expelled? Fine. Go. (laughs) As much as Draco is, such a, a shit in, like, the first couple books. Like, still, he's just an 11-year-old kid that's scared about going into the forest, and I don't blame him for that.
1: A lot of 11-year-olds are probably little shits. I'm sure I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this chapter has a lot of plot stuff slash foreshadowing, which we, the last few chapters have, but this is probably, like, the biggest one, because this is going to lead us in to the big reveal in the next two chapters.
1: This is heavy with the foreshadowing. It's also heavy with the things that could have changed everything. Like Harry really early on in the chapter saying, no, we've done enough poking around. Imagine if he followed through and was like done with poking around, it would have been the end of the entire plot. There'd be no six books after this one. His curiosity is what saved the entire plot.
0: I think he has this feeling a lot where Harry has this like constant need to like look into things, which I think was kind of part of the prophecy where he, he has he has to do it. But it's so many books. He's like, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to like have a normal life. And then it's like, actually, no, you're not. He's pulled back into it. By Dumbledore.
1: I also think in regarding foreshadowing, Hagrid saying that, oh, if you're with me, nothing in the forest will hurt you is such an untrue statement. And he's so naive about it. I mean, even, even the spider, even Aragog, would totally kill them if they were with Hagrid. They just agreed Aragog just won't kill Hagrid. There was no deal of not killing anyone else, regardless of if they're with Hagrid.
0: It's like we talked about last um, episode, but Hagrid and his affinity for like magical creatures, usually dangerous magical creatures, that he believes the best in them. And to him, like, obviously they if they won't hurt him. They would, wouldn't hurt anyone else. And he just wants to believe in second chances. So he he generally just believes that, and it's obviously not true. We even see how the forest changes in later books, where he's in the forest with Harry and Hermione, seeing Grop, and the centaurs, like, don't want him in there, and he's getting kind of pushed out. So at this point, he's pretty welcome in the forest, and he knows what's going around in there, but by the end of the series, he's kind of being pushed out of the forest by the creatures that are in there.
1: Also in foreshadowing from Hagrid, is Harry remembering that uh, Hagrid referred to Voldemort saying he doesn't know if he has enough human in him left to die is such a beautiful foreshadow. I mean, Hagrid is spot on. And that is not the most common of things.
0: I think especially when life has been so bad, it's kind of just like with us with COVID the last two or three years, that everyone is just so ready to welcome, like, hope, and everyone was so ready just to be over with Voldemort's reign of terror, that everyone just, like, didn't really question the fact that when he was gone, if they are just like, of course he's gone. But Hagrid had a, this gut feeling that this isn't the end, and very intuitive. Yeah, I agree. Very good job, Hagrid, which is good, because
1: I feel like we've been making fun of Hagrid a bit much in this episode.
0: (laughs) I mean, okay, we just have to say, we both love Hagrid. He's the best. It's just, we'd question some of his choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's a very pure of heart, good-natured, wonderful guy.
0: We love what he does for the kids, but also he does a lot of questionable things for the kids.
1: Uh, This is also kind of a beautiful example, I mean, you don't know it at the time, but of how much Dumbledore is involved in absolutely everything and manipulates everything He gives Harry the invisibility cloak so Harry can go sneaking. And then Harry gets punished for sneaking. Yep. And then he goes out into the Forbidden Forest and he gets the invisibility cloak back again to continue sneaking. Very Dumbledore to be like, I need you to use this to do what I want. Okay, I want you to do things again. Here you go. Like a gentle push in the direction of what he wants.
0: Yeah, so do we think that Dumbledore knew that Quirrell would go into the forest that night? And that's why he... He wanted Harry to face, basically face Voldemort to know that Voldemort's out there. Because up to this point, Harry just thought that Snape was stealing the stone for money, for wealth. He didn't think there was anything dark about it. He just was like, Snape's bad. We don't like him. He's going to steal the stone and sell it. But now it's more than just like, it's like life or death now. And Harry's perspective completely changes 180 for he says he's going to stay out of it because what matters if Snape gets it whatever he gets money but now it's Voldemort and if Voldemort gets it then the whole world's over
1: yeah it's interesting and also Harry wouldn't really realize any of that if the centaurs hadn't told him too much I wonder to what extent if Dumbledore was involved in that as well then like if he said Harry you know like casually went out to visit the centaurs and was like sure it would be great if Harry Potter knew the following you know, <laughs> because like, Dumbledore one of the few people who think almost as far in advance as the centaurs, you know, he's already planning what's going to happen in seven books from now. And it seems like something he might do. But also, I could see the centaurs not doing what he tells them, because screw you, tiny mortal, I am centaur.
0: Well, yeah, we do see that that all the centaurs, except for friends, don't like interacting with humans, especially, was it Bane or Ronin? was very angry about him rescuing Harry at Spain yes, because their whole thing is that they know what's going to be prophesized, but they don't want to interfere because they just read the stars and they're aware of what's happening. But friends, I've, if Dumbledore was able to know the centaurs, he probably could sense that friends, friends is younger and more, maybe more susceptible to manipulation. And he probably, he seems to care a lot more about like the entire world, the entire ring world, not just his centaur herd, but he seems to care about the humans that are in it. And he cares about, he seems to care about if Harry lives or not. Because we do know that Friends ends up coming into Dumbledore's protection later in the book. So who knows what Dumbledore was cooking up back then.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, it's just like Dumbledore consenting to allow Harry Potter to go into the woods with Voldemort and Draco Malfoy. That's what happened, right? I mean, he wasn't sure Voldemort would be out there, but he knew the guy was about and he's like, go out into the woods at night in the dark by yourself. It's going to be fine. Like, that man is so cool and so smart. And Order of Merlin first class. Why, Dumbledore? Why?
0: <laughs> what a guy. Yeah, so Friends tells Harry about how slaying a unicorn is, like, a terrible thing. You'll be cursed for life. So I'm wondering what a cursed life would mean. Yeah, I mean. Well, what would happen to you? I feel like my first
1: thought is thinking about, like, the sectioning of his soul for horror crooks is where it's kind of like you lose a little part of yourself every time. Maybe killing a unicorn is like that. Or maybe because you destroyed something so pure and beautiful, you just can't experience the type of pure, beautiful joy that unicorns radiate. So like if you drink their blood, you'll never experience happiness Kind of, which makes sense because it's not like Voldemort's ever happy. He's satisfied, or he's angry, or he's achieving his goal, but you, even when he like does something big and influential, he doesn't seem happy. We're ignoring the weird hugging Draco moment because it's not canon. <laughs> he looked happy at that moment, but it made me uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ugh, Yeah. I mean, the the movie movie took a lot of liberties. I was wondering if it had to do with karma or not, because I feel like it's like you live a cursed life, a half-life. and Just like, I don't know if it just means that, like, you've forsaken something innocent and pure that was defenseless. So, like, it just feels like releasing bad karma. You do something bad, something bad's going to come around and happen to you. Because it's like, drinking it sustains you for a time. So, obviously, you had to keep doing it. So, it's like you're putting yourself above someone else. And there's a lot of like astrology and astronomy and stuff in this chapter. So don't know where karma fits into that. It kind of feels
1: like the repercussions or the cursed life that is an outcome of drinking unicorn blood might just be like the feeling of guilt will linger forever. And maybe Voldemort is almost exempt to that because he has no ability to feel empathy. Because he seems to be the same amount of jerk the whole time. It doesn't seem like... Yeah, I mean, he has a fraction of a soul. Yeah, just a piece, just a smidgen, a cursed smidgen of a soul. Just a little bit.
0: <laughs> so let's dive on into some divination. Ooh. So we don't quite have divination as a subject yet that will be coming up, but there is a lot of little bits and pieces that will lead to around the divination side of magic. That were kind of referenced in this sh-
1: yeah yeah
0: it's astrology astronomy divination future predicting so the one clue we have is all the centaurs are saying mars is bright tonight and mars is known as the bringer of battle and a bright mars could indicate a war breaking out soon according to a lot of um astrology astronomy stuff that i looked up so i think it's very interesting yeah and mars is also the god of war so again it Makes sense. So like what's going to happen. This is like the rumblings that Voldemort is on his way to getting a body back, or he's attempting to. So it's it could be indicating that something's going to happen soon. And we do know eventually the war does break out. So it's like kind of an indicator.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because the centaurs are considered to really only be interested in the distant future. So for this particular prediction, I wonder if Mars is bright to predict... Harry going to battle with Voldemort in the end of this book or if it's predicting the battle in the fifth book or if it's predicting the battle in the seventh book like there's so many different times where it happens I wonder which one that Mars is telling them about this time
0: you know he goes to battle a lot yeah because I really only considered the seventh book like a battle because I feel like just like leading up to it all all, it was just Harry kind of like outmaneuvering Voldemort for whatever he was trying to accomplish being that get a body or get the prophecy. But at the seventh book, that's where they're both kind of on two separate sides. And it's not really just about Harry. It's like the entire Wizarding World is either on one side or the other.
1: Friends is also uh, predicting terrible things. He mentions that the planets have been read wrong before, and he's hoping it's one of those times. So for me, that means he's talking about something he saw in the stars for Harry, because he's talking to Harry or Harry's side of things. Because it's clearly a bad thing. So I'm wondering if that is him knowing Harry's going to die in the forest one day. And this is him being like, gee, I hope this kid doesn't die in the forest. That would suck.
0: That would make sense because Bane was really mad that he took Harry. And so maybe they all kind of know that Harry's supposed to die in the forest. And he's like, well, why did you rescue him? Me? mean, we're not supposed to interfere in like the...
1: yeah. Leave him to die in the forest, as it is foretold.
0: Yeah, that's that's foretold. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Especially with how angry Bane got.
1: I also kind of, regarding the centaurs, wonder what their lifespan is? Because if they view humans as insignificant, they must have a much longer life. And sort of just see humans as a brief thing.
0: So I wonder how long they live. I think it's also said that wizards have a bit of a longer lifespan than, like, muggles do. Because I think... James Potter's parents were, like, older when they had him, so there's that. But yeah, do it just seems like they're kind of, like, I don't know what I can relate it to in other books, but they're just kind of...
1: In my mind, it's kind of like the elves in Lord of the Rings, in that elves live longer than mortal man. And so it's like they might see each other in the same lifespan, but they still have so much to go after the humans have died. Like I feel like maybe centaurs live 200 years.
0: Yeah, I can see them living a long time because it feels like they experience so much that's like for tolls and I if they feel like way about humans it's like humans are just a blip on their like radar. Like they don't interact with humans at all really. They just let things happen how they're supposed to happen. Or I
1: wonder if if centaurs are almost reincarnated like they they reach the end of a cycle and then they're reborn almost but they continue to have some of the knowledge from before because even if they live 500 years something significant happening still impacts you like like a war if you've never been around for a big war before but maybe they've lived through most of the wars you know so like their bodies decay they're reborn in some way that would explain a lot of how they see things very philosophically, because to them, death isn't even really the end of anything.
0: Yeah, everything's all just like one big circle.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see that for centaurs. It sort of matches who they are, but I I don't know. So please feel free to comment on Twitter or Facebook or Spotify and let us know how long you think centaurs live or if you think they have a cyclical life cycle. Cyclical life cycle is saying the same thing twice. <laughs> I'm yeah. <laughs>
0: thorough. I'm thorough. <laughs> so anyways, we end the chapter off with Harry and Hermione rushing back to the door to tell Ron about what happened. And Harry is completely, again, changed his mind where now Voldemort's involved and Ron's freaking out and Hermione's all nervous and he's Harry's just thinking he's going to die, which pretty traumatizing for an 11 year old. He's just kind of like, yep, and Voldemort gets the stone. He's going to come kill me. The end. <laughs> That's my life, I guess. <laughs> And uh, we kind of get Hermione's already has a bias for fortune telling since she does like comfort Harry saying that Dumbledore is around and Voldemort doesn't like Dumbledore, so as long as Dumbledore's around, you'll be fine, like nothing that will happen to you. And then she also says like like Professor she really I idolizes Professor McGonagall, especially in the early books. So she's like she told me that fortune telling is a very like unsteady branch of magic, so she doesn't put much faith in it, and. That'll be a big thing with Hermione in later books, it's just her narrow thinking and her needing proof and logic for everything before she'll believe it at all.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Hermione has a dislike of what would be considered soft sciences. She doesn't like things that are open to interpretation. She likes things that are provable, factual, can be repeated, hypothesized replicated. She wants things to be able to be replicated and have the same end results every time because that's how she learns. She's kind of the person, in my mind at least, that in high school for muggles would love math and would love biology and would love physics but would struggle in English. They're like I know how to add up all these numbers because when you do that it's always this result but in English when they ask you what are the motivations behind this character there's no clear-cut definite answer. You know I feel like that is where Hermione fits. I feel like Hermione also likes she likes being able to learn how something will end or the result of something I know the result of this math equation is this I know the result of this arithmetic equation is this but when it comes to other things that are open to the interpretation it doesn't matter how good you are it could be something else and so even if you have a good answer it's not definite
0: it brings me back to when um haplot prince when Harry's using the prince's textbook and Hermione's using the normal textbook and Harry offers her this textbook because she asked him how he got his potion to be like basically perfect but she wouldn't use it because it wasn't the official instructions so even though his potion was better she didn't care about it being the best or not she just cared about doing it properly like she had to follow the instructions
1: yeah she likes a clean linear process that is again replicable and repeatable Again, I've said the same thing (laughs) twice. What do you think, Fred? Same thing you think, George. Um, (laughs) But I definitely think that's what it comes down to. Even if divination wasn't at all considered a wishy-washy subject, which it seems like quite a few people have that opinion of it, it's never going to fit with the type of knowledge she likes and desires. So it's never gonna really satisfy Hermione and it's not going to be something she can believe in. You know, if it's right 75% of the time, it's not always right. So why bother? I think... Off the top of my head, it's very interesting the way they introduce introduce us to divination because the way the uh, centaurs talk about Mars and the sky and the stars, Hagrid's kind of rolling his eyes, so we like, okay, Hagrid doesn't take it seriously, but that doesn't mean much. Then Hermione's like, I also don't take it seriously, and you're like, oh, okay, it really doesn't, like, Hermione also doesn't believe in it, so it's baloney, but, like, it's not actually baloney at the end. There's a lot of very accurate predictions that happen. We know... It's not clear cut and it's open to interpretation, but if properly interpreted, divination is a very, very successful tool and a really cool, complex magic. I
0: think a lot of the reason it isn't taken seriously at Hogwarts is because of the teacher. And it kind of shows that a teacher can kind of turn you off on something. Like Harry doesn't believe in divination until he sees a real prediction from Professor Shalani. But everyone else is like, the divination is stupid. Like Ron doesn't care for it, Hermione drops it. And McGonagall doesn't care about it. Mm-hmm. And the people who
1: like it, it's almost like an art. It's like fun and interesting and open. So the people that like it are the artistic students. People like Lavender Brown, who seems like...
0: Yeah, but Lavender and Provati are like very into it. She's more open to that kind of stuff.
1: Likes it more because it's... Yeah, She's not. she's not a math person. You know, she's an English and art person. And as an English and art person, I understand and respect it. But it's interesting how they prime us to have the opinion Harry and Ron and Hermione will have of divination early on, which is, it's baloney, don't take it seriously. Because when you know that some of the predictions can be correct, you can read the novels completely differently and see how so many predictions that even seemed wrong at the time end up being correct.
0: It might have been intentional to make the the readers biased against like fortune-telling until we get the third book because the whole time we get meet Professor Troi and she's like this outrageous character so you don't really believe anything and it all seems kind of stupid because they kind of can tell she's making stuff up and she's just a bit over the top. And then it's really surprising at the end when she actually makes a real prediction and then Dumbledore's like, actually she's made one before so then you'd find out at the end of that book that okay, it is real. Like there is like evidence to back it up. But even after that, Everyone's still kind of like, eh, it's dumb. (laughs) I feel like I would
1: love divination.
0: I would enjoy it. I just want to do the the reading the tea leaves. I've always wanted to do that. I love tea, first of all. Point one, love
1: tea. (laughs) But I I even have like a, I spent a small fortune. So more than $20 on like a, a yearly planner that has astrological notes in it so like it tells you like according to the moon this is a good day to do this type of thing and you're going to be sensitive to this type of stuff and like I haven't even looked into the science enough to know if it's true but like being able to look at it and say hypothetically it's a better day to do this because of the moon makes me feel a little bit better doing certain things like just in case the moon is there for me so I can only imagine in a world where like you can do really cool tangible things with divination and astrology I would absolutely adore it. Crystal balls are cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, when they were doing their dream deciphering, I thought that was cool, even though I never remember my dreams.
1: I frequently do, and I also talk in my sleep. So if I don't remember, someone around me might. But I used to keep dream journals because it's great, and I've read all of Carl Jung's collective work on dream analysis. Because of the person I am.
0: I find it so cool, but I just, I never remember anything. I remember remember, like a handful of dreams that really stuck with me because they were like the weirdest dreams I've ever had. But I never remember like anything really tangible. At least nowadays. My most recent noticeable dream was uh,
1: we opened the door and there were a bunch of zombie children there. So I stabbed one because that's what you do. And in real life, I punched my glass of water right off of my bedside table.
0: Have you ever had any Harry Potter, like, dreams?
1: I'm sure I've had Harry Potter dreams. I mean, especially because every couple of years when I do the binge reread, I often will do it, like, at my cottage. And there won't be a lot of people up there, and I'm just alone for days reading Harry Potter. So when your day is mostly that, your brain is so absorbed in it that you end up dreaming about Quidditch games or some such ridiculous... It's often weird, like it's almost like at Hogwarts, but none of them are real Harry Potter characters, but in my mind I know who all these people are. It's so cool. I'm so jealous
0: of people that remember dreams.
1: I mean, I have love dreams, and I love dream experimentation. Like, I looked into, for a long time, lucid dreaming, and I did some of that, which is really, really neat. I love it. And I don't know why, but like all the things they told me to do didn't really work. But, like, there's weird things I can eat before bed that make it easier for me to lucid dream. So, uh, if you want to try lucid dreaming like me, eat a spoonful of chocolate icing, a pickle, and a piece of cheese before
0: bed. (laughs) That sounds like someone's pregnancy (laughs) craving.
1: I've never been pregnant, and I am not pregnant. But for some reason, I don't know how I figured it out. I think I was in middle school when I figured that one out. But, uh, it just helped me lucid dream. So, if you want to... Have a dream you can control and go on your own little adventures and actually make the smart choices. Uh, Try out the pickle icing and cheese trick.
0: Interesting. I think on that note, we should wrap this up before it gets more weird.
1: Good night, everyone, and please enjoy your uh, late night snack of icing, pickles, and cheese.
0: Ugh, gross. Thanks for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited. We will be back to discuss chapter 16 of Philosopher's Stone Through the Trap Door. And then we'll only have one more episode to go until we finish this book. Just crazy. Yeah. And of course, you can reach us at Potter Visited on all the social media platforms. And you can email us at Potter Revisited Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Sweet dreams, listeners. Bye.